Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. media project, a half hour of commentary and analysis, and sometimes when we're really on our game, insight into media issues of the week. And we welcome you to join the conversation with us. I'm Rex Smith, here with Barbara Lombardo, Judy Patrick, and Dr. Alan Shartok. We are your media project projectors for this week, and we thank you for joining us. We have several topics to talk about, starting perhaps with the President of the United States saying that social media platforms like Facebook are killing people, killing people, the President said, by spreading anti-vaccination falsehoods. And of course, we know that there is a lot of this going on, in part because there's just such vast misinformation out there. So my question for the distinguished panelists here. Three of us are former newspaper editors. Dr. Shartok runs this vast radio empire. What is the responsibility of media players, of the news media, in the face of this? What can we do at this point other than what has been done? you have any bright ideas, Alan? Well, look, here's the problem. We say we have a free American press. We say that people can publish whatever they want. And yet, when they do, and, you know, they'll be come back on this and say, well, you know, but these platforms are really not newspapers or radio stations. They're extremely powerful, and we say it's okay to put stuff in there. And if we can't put it in, then the question for all of us is, who says no? <laughs> you know, who says this is appropriate and this isn't appropriate? And that is where we all are going to get caught up as the screams and moans go on about, by the way, from both parties, about what they're putting out there. And I think it's very difficult. Do you have any smart ideas? Well, you know, Biden's Facebook is killing people it was certainly overblown rhetoric, but he's using his bully pulpit. I don't think he's trying to stop the press from reporting on the vaccine, but there's certainly an, a lot of vaccine misinformation out there. I think what's got to happen is the administration has to start playing the same game. They have to up their game on social media. It's not just Facebook. It's a ton of other stuff that's out there, and a lot of it's set in people's minds, and it's very, very hard to change some of these vaccine-resistant people. We tread so lightly when we're dealing with these people who are reluctant or refuse to get their vaccines. You're never going to convince them otherwise unless you listen to their concerns. But if you listen to their concerns, they're usually off-base, wrong, lies, bad information, and I'm not sure patiently listening to them is the answer. <laughs> yeah, you're right. 20% of Americans believe that microchips are inside the COVID-19 vaccines, uh, according to a study. Microchips inside the vaccines. Uh, Barbara, what would you do <laughs> if you were in charge of everything? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so all the problems would be solved immediately. Yeah, of course, of course. I think that Biden maybe regretted saying something as broad as killing people because he did soften it. He talked it back a little bit 
after that. And I understand that he was also talking with the people at Fox to try to say, hey, how can we get the message across to your listeners who, by and large, are the ones who are vaccine-resistant, uh, not for health reasons? And so I think that is one way to do it, is to try to get the opinion leaders of the people who are in that group that yeah. is not following common sense. And I think that's the way to reach them. You know, there is some of that going on because now you find Fox News hosts actually saying, get your vaccines. You don't have Tucker Carlson saying that. He's still raising all these doubts about whether they're safe and I think grossly irresponsibly taking the stance that is killing people. You know, sorry, I'm not supposed to say you know. One of our listeners last week chastised me in particular for that. We'll get back to that in a moment. But the fact is that if Facebook is killing people, as Joe Biden says, where then do you weigh the penalty of Fox News? Facebook is at least trying to stop misinformation. Fox News, it seems to me, is intentionally distributing it. Fox, quote, news, as Fox News is essentially talk radio with pictures these days. So what in the world can you do about that And if you don't do an all-out assault, as I think Judy's suggesting? And you're seeing a lot of Republicans, well, not a lot, but a few Republicans are starting to come out and encourage people to get the vaccine. But, you know, the horse has left the barn. You're not going to change a lot of these people's minds. And I'd like to put the responsibility on every person who refuses to get the vaccine. And we can blame Facebook. We can blame Pinterest. We can playing, you know, TikTok or Fox News, but individual responsibility is important too. You have to realize that if you refuse to get the vaccine, I don't, uh, you're potentially in- infecting a young person or your friends. And even though all of us who are baby boomers, most of us are generally protected, um, I'm worried about the next generation. And when you talk about going soft, when I think the media has been patting like Steve Calise on the back for saying, oh, I'm, you know, I'm getting a vaccine now. And it's like, well, yeah. where have yeah. you been? How, right. how many people have died, not because of Facebook, but because they followed the Republican line? And Mitch McConnell, too, of all people, you know, who has been following the Trump line, I think they've decided that somehow that they are in real danger because they are going to be seen eventually as killing people, which they are. I think the people who refuse to take the vaccine, and I think this becomes a media project issue, are not smart. Do you want to know what the opposite of not smart is? Mm. <laughs> which, which I said, and it got a lot of letters saying you shouldn't use the word, that word, starting with S and ending with D, because it belittles you. But the truth of the matter is, if you are putting, as we just heard from Barbara and Judy, if you are, in fact, putting your life at risk and your children's life at risk and your parents' life at risk just because you, for some reason, are following what you think are your political instincts, that is not smart. Rex, I wanted to just take quick issue with something that you repeated, Mm -hmm. which was Joe Biden saying Facebook is killing people. Mm -hmm. When he was questioned about it later, he says, well, Facebook isn't killing people. You know, a small number of users are responsible for that. Mm -hmm. And yet every time it comes up, and you just did it a few minutes ago, you say, well, Biden said Facebook is killing people. So once somebody says something, especially the president of the United States, Mm -hmm. even if they try to talk it back, we in the media keep repeating it, even Mm -hmm. if they wish they hadn't said it, if they tried to explain it. Mm -hmm. You know, that is an interesting journalistic problem, by the way. We don't allow 
for nuance or allow people to make mistakes and change it, change their minds. We meaning we you? media. <laughs> well, I guess you just did. We meaning me. Tough. She's tough. <laughs> It's a good journalistic follow-up. But that is true. Once a quotation is out there, it gets repeated over and over. And even while some of us say, well, we believe in nuance in journalism, I've said that a thousand times in public settings. But in fact, it's hard to not capitalize on these good quotes that are a little bit stubbed toes, aren't they? Good description of it. Well, I don't know. Trump said that the press is the enemy of the people. And I keep repeating that because mm-hmm. I think even if he takes it back, even if he says, well, I was, which he hasn't, by the way. Right. He hasn't I taken mean, it back, I, so it doesn't matter. No, mm-hmm. Well, let's assume he had just for a second. It wouldn't matter. We know he meant it. <laughs> and I think that people should be called out for things that they said and do. Yeah. I wonder if the solution to some of this, in in the same way that let's take a political situation and make it kind of like a media situation. Nancy Pelosi has rejected some Republican House members for the committee to investigate January 6th because they are opponents of such an investigation. I wonder if politicians and others ought to start being tougher on Fox News. Now, this is controversial, I think, because we as journalists don't like the notion of public officials picking who it is who can interview them. But I just wonder if we shouldn't start saying, I'm a congressman, I'm not going to talk to Fox News. This is not a valid news organization. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Wouldn't that be dumb? I mean, you know, the stupid. Fact that, the, <laughs> did I say the word stupid? Uh, oh, I've well. had enough of that. Okay, you're right. <laughs> okay. But don't you think there are many politicians who think that they're right? And if, you know, Fox comes along and wants to talk to them, that they can get the better of the interviewer, if you want to put it that way, or at least they can get their position put out there. I don't know that I agree with you, Rex, that it's a good idea to not talk to them, because I think there are times when people are watching it, they think it's a fair fight, and they are interested in what they're hearing. You know, Pete Buttigieg did a good job on his appearances on Fox as a surrogate for Biden during the election. I mean, that was a wonder to behold. (laughs) Maybe he's a rare case, but I think in some respects, you know, the Democrats want to reach that audience, and that's a good way to do it. Although, obviously, when you're in that studio, when you're on their airways, they have complete control, and they can uh, steer the conversation any way they want. I want to bring in a letter from one of our listeners, Don and Oneonta, writes on the question, is Fox a news channel, apropos our conversation that we had on that point. He writes, well, you know, I think he had conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the Fox News Channel is not, in a traditional sense, a news organization. It is a forum for right-wing propaganda and promotion of Trumpism. I know this, Don writes, because I worked at Fox for seven years. It was during the end of the George W. Bush administration and Barack Obama's first term. I'd come to work, he writes, and ask the boss, what do you want me to do today? He would reply, same thing as yesterday, find a new way to show Obama is bad and Republicans are good. If you can't come up with something on your own, here is today's GOP talking points, and oh, make sure you say something nice about that guy, Trump. You know, Don writes, I'm a Democrat, but I couldn't find a radio or TV job doing straight news. Fox was the only company hiring. I should say, by the way, that our mail is not fact-checked. We don't really know this. If you're writing a letter to the editor of most reputable newspapers, you'll get a call back from them to determine who you are and so on. So perhaps I shouldn't have read that. But on the other hand, this fellow is purporting to be a Fox News veteran taking issue with how Fox operates. Hmm. 
Well done, Rex. Well done. <laughs> you don't absolve yourself from bad journalism by noting that you've just given in to it, but oh well. But I think the, the point that Fox News is not a news channel, I think we're safe there. Mm-hmm. I think they walked away from that maybe four or five years ago. And even though they had people like Chris Wallace, who was, who was doing a stellar job of trying to hold people to account, I think it slipped away. And um, if there's breaking news, I don't even think Trump supporters turn to Fox very often. During the, the events of January 6th, they covered it, but they were covering other things that day as well. Well, in all deference to you, Judy, my issue is that I think that Fox is somebody that they turn to in huge numbers, those people who believe in that message. And it is, as I understand it, is the number one cable channel again. For a while it was CNN, but it's back to Fox. So I don't think you can dismiss them because I think an awful lot of people believe what they have to say and do, in fact, turn into them. Well, yeah, they're popular, they're, but just in the way maybe the Lifetime channel's popular or the wrestling channel's popular. They're, they have a niche, and their niche is inflaming political beliefs to the right. But they're not news. The news is the window dressing, I think. And they're killing well, people. You, and they're killing you people. say that, but a lot of the people who listen don't say it and who think that they have the answer. And if you want to know about things, you go to Fox. And Fox has a small mm-hmm. problem, and that is there will be others who would take their place as the head of the Blue Meanie Association. The what? And the, the Blue Meanie? The, the Blue Meanie. In other words, the right-wingers. Oh. <laughs> okay. And so if they don't watch their step, they lose economically in every other way. I'm not defending them. I don't think they deserve it. And I'm with you on this. But I do think they are a potent force in American politics. No doubt. By the way, if you would like listeners to be a part of the conversation the way Don of Oneonta just was, send us your thoughts, media at wamc.org. Alan Shartuck, Judy Patrick, I started to say Rosemary Mayo. Rosemary is not here. Barbara Lombardo. Lombardo or Mayo, it's all that kind of. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, at the end of the yeah. <laughs> dig, don't dig yourself into a hole. Exactly. Well, when you have a name like Smith, you don't have much of an opportunity to establish yourself outside anything other than the ordinary. We used to say, by the way, the name Smith was not a common name. It was a popular name. Smith said that. Smith said it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, the owner of the Washington Post, traveled to the edge of space in a rocket owned by Blue Origin, his space company. Any thoughts on the coverage of Jeff Bezos' little flight into space? I loved the coverage of the 82-year-old astronaut hmm? who finally got to go into space. I'm a little embarrassed by the fawning of the press for this gimmick, mm-hmm. and yet it was kind of fun. And yet, all the people at Amazon and anybody who's paid money to Amazon, I would be so upset. I do find it upsetting, the fawning coverage of it. Mm. I'm so glad we're covering this because I hated it. I thought they were going almost to the moon. They weren't going to the moon. It was they were 10 just, minutes. Yeah, they were, it was nothing. It's like, why are we covering this at all? It took me longer to get here this morning. <laughs> and, the, and then, indeed, the coverage was fawning. It was outside the realm of possibility. It's like so congratulatory. But it is the beginning of, yeah, well, yeah, quote, yeah. unquote, ordinary, <laughs> of ordinary millionaires or, to go, or billionaires to go into space. Well, it is because we gave it so much coverage, we, in the general media. It was different. It was new and it does say something about where we might be heading as a civilization. Well, interestingly, the Washington Post front page in their paper edition had a centerpiece, showed the photo 
of the Bezos launch. Uh, the New York Times did not give Mr. Bezos launch into sort of space the same kind of coverage. Are you making an accusation that the <laughs> Times is so competitive with the Washington Post they ignored it? <laughs> I'm just saying, I just saw the two front pages. I'm thinking, really? One organization thought this was really big news that deserves the centerpiece coverage, and one of them did not. Good of you, Judy. You're exactly right. Well, I would think that if you were the editor of the Washington Post, Sally Busby, the new executive editor there, you would really think hard about whether you were going to do that because you don't want the perception that you are caving to your boss, right? You would do everything to establish your independence, and I would think that that would be a very hard call to make to put that photo in the middle of the front page. Don't you think? No. no. <laughs> really? <laughs> I know, because you also want your job. I don't know. I don't think so. You think... guys are so defensive all the time. But when you, you also have day. to look... Oh, I'm sorry, Alan. I'm about to be defensive. Uh, <laughs> it depends on what are else you really? is... Yes. What else is it going is on in the news that day? What else was it competing against that didn't get coverage because of the play that that story got? Well, while we're talking about the Washington Post, I want to say just a word about a Post alum, Harry Rosenfeld, who was the assistant managing editor for Metropolitan News at the Washington Post during Watergate. Therefore, was the boss of Woodward and Bernstein, who brought down the president of the United States. That coverage really was fundamental to Watergate happening. Harry then became the editor of the Times Union in Albany for 16 years. He was my predecessor's predecessor in that job. And Harry died after this program was taped last week before it was aired. And I just think we ought to take a moment to recognize this remarkable career. A Polish boy born in Berlin whose family fled on one of the last boats that left Germany after Kristallnacht before Hitler began the final solution and came to America, did well, became foreign editor of the New York Herald Tribune, then went to the Washington Post where he ran the Watergate coverage and then came to upstate New York to run newsrooms on his own. A remarkable man, died at 91. And I think it is an opportunity for us to just think about, wow, how different the world is from the journalism world that Harry Rosenfeld inhabited. You know, Alan, in a way, you lived some of the life that Harry did because you were a kid in New York City when there were, you know, all those newspapers. You know, it was a different world, wasn't it? It was. I can name them all. We read every one of them in my house. The Herald Tribune was at the front door in the morning. So was the um, New York Times. My mother brought home the World Telegram and Sun because it had a teacher's page. At night, my parents would give me a couple of cents and tell me to go out and buy the Daily News and the Daily Mirror. And then there was the Journal American. I think that's the one we didn't read. <laughs> that's funny. That was owned by Hearst, I believe, right? You know, I did. Now I know why. I, I didn't know Harry, but one of the things that I so enjoyed about reading about him in his Watergate coverage is he stood up for the reporters who initially discovered it when they wanted to give the story away to maybe more uh, seasoned reporters or more reporters who had higher profile in the newsroom. He said no keep it with these guys. These guys are hungry. And former reporter, I love that an editor would stick up for a young reporter and give them the chance to make the story. And they did. That reminds me of Paul Grandel had a lovely piece about him in the Times Union the other day and talked about his personal experience with Harry Rosenfeld and how Harry gave him a chance. So Harry saw promise in this young person who did not have formal journalism training, but he had the innards for it. He had the intuition and the guts and the desire and gave him a chance. And he did what I used to do hiring people saying like, can you play softball?
<laughs> right. Or you at second oh. base. Oh, he said, that's how you guys did it. Too. <laughs> that's how you guys did it. But yeah, yeah he, he protected his reporters and understood why they were so important. Uh, Alan Grondahl eventually, of course, became the most honored Times Union reporters and traveled to five Whoa. continents as a journalist. Well, Harry was always gracious and kind. As my predecessor, we would have a lot of conversations about how different things are. I remember him saying to me fairly early in my tenure as editor of, of the Times Union, uh, he said, you know, it was a, it's always been a difficult job being the editor of the newspaper. He said, but at least when I came to work, I knew what my job was you probably don't know what your job is from one day to the next. And I think that has been true. As we sit here in this room with some former newspaper editors, think of how those days when you weren't sure exactly, well, what am I supposed to be doing digitally versus print? How do we balance the needs of these different readers? How do we shuffle the staff to meet all of the competing needs, the shrinking, ever-shrinking staff? It's a challenging environment that Harry recognized had changed a lot, and I appreciate the grace that he brought to it. I thought it was very cool to have somebody from the Watergate investigation in our region mm -hmm. yeah. as an editor. Yep, quite something. Anyway, uh, we are very grateful for the impact of Harry Rosenfeld in this community and think that the times that have changed are certainly among us. You know, we... I'm sorry, David. We I do still say you know. I've got to stop that now. <laughs> I think it's charming, and I think you ought to continue to say it, Rex. I should get one of those cattle prods, and I'll just poke them whenever I hear it because I'm right next to them. Nah, why? Why? I mean, you know, each of us have our each of us have our little ticks, and I think it's charming to have Rex say you know our ticks because yeah. <laughs> A little ticks. The uh, Toastmasters Club International has a person at each of their meetings called the A-meter. In Toastmasters, you're, you're taught, apparently, how to speak. I know this because when I was a high school student, I had to speak to all the social clubs in my little city of Rapid City, South Dakota. And the A-meter is the person who is designated to count how many times people who stand up and speak use the word a. Uh. So, uh... <laughs> One. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to not speak anymore. This could just frustrate just, something. Just a reminder that we're newspaper people. <laughs> That's to, right. And we're not like trained in, not, in radio. We're well, doing the best we can. One of the traits, one of the skills that you had to learn as a reporter when I became a reporter, I became a professional full-time reporter really in 1980, though I had done some work in journalism in the mid-70s. But you had to dictate a story. You had to be able to focus thoughts in your head, put a dime, initially a quarter in the payphone, and call you to the desk and dictate what was going on, including period, paragraph, before the next paragraph, and so on. You had to actually dictate your punctuation even. If you were lucky, you had a good rewrite person who could make it better as she or he was taking dictation. But uh, that dictation skill is something that I was glad to have learned when I got to the Times Union job and found myself, well, even before that, when I found myself on this radio show and realized I had to talk without <laughs> having a typewriter in front of me, which is hard. Hmm. Alan, what do you think about this? Press freedom in the United States, it says here, according to the former editor-in-chief of Reuters, who is writing about it, press freedom in the United States just got its biggest boost in years with the Department of Justice's new policy limiting its own power to seize records and notes from journalists. So this is the question. Merrick Garland has done this as attorney general, removing the threat that notes might be seized from journalists. Does this not establish 
a multi-tiered system, or at least a special class of people called journalists, who are somewhat insulated from the kind of oh enforcement of uh, record keeping, let's say, or secrets that otherwise a government would have. You think that you're okay Rex, with that? Rex, I'm glad you called on me. The answer to this is that all presidents had real difficulties with leaks in their administration. That included Obama, Trump, and the present president, I am sure. Nevertheless, every time you try to clear that up by going after them, you get into real trouble. So they lose nothing by taking the position that this isn't right, especially when their predecessor was known to be hell on wheels when it came to that. So there I go, you know. Uh, and <laughs> There you go again. <laughs> yeah, right. So I think it's obviously a political move. Whether they stick with it is something that we'll have to see. Yeah, this arises because back in the spring, the Justice Department notified CNN, the New York Times, and the Washington Post that the Trump administration had authorized the secret seizure of eight reporters' phone and email logs as part of a national security leaks investigation. And President Biden said this is wrong. So the, the question is, are there ever times when the government is right to seek the notes from the news media and to try to seize that stuff? Hey, journalists are a special class of people, just to answer the original question, because they hold government to an account in a way that the average citizen doesn't. I think this is a good first step, but they need to pass a law establishing this because the next president could just reverse course. I think this is an important protection to offer the public because without people leaking information, you wouldn't have had the Pentagon Papers. You wouldn't have had all sorts of important information the government's trying to hold secret, not for the public benefit, but for their own personal benefit. So... I'm all in favor of it. All right. Very quickly, being the troublemaker I am, Rex and Judy and Barbara, the question for each of you is, if somebody gave away important newsroom information from your newspaper, would you have been angry? Sure, but I'm not the government, so... Yeah, I don't tax oh, people okay. or put them in jail. Yeah, too bad. Hey, we could. It would be fun, huh? <laughs> all right. That is all we have time for with Judy's final uh, assessment that journalists are, in fact, different. <laughs> yes. We are The Media Project. We are Barbara Lombardo and Judy Patrick and Alan Shartok. And I'm Rex Smith with gratitude to our great producer, David Gustina, and to you all for joining us this week on The Media Project. They all got tired of patches on their pants. They organized a union to get a living wage. They joined with other actors upon a living stage. Now newspapermen are such interesting people. When they know they've got a people fight. The Media Project is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartok is CEO of WAMC, Professor Emeritus at the State University of New York, commentator, columnist, and author. Rex Smith is the former editor of the Albany Times Union. Judy Patrick is the Vice President for Editorial Development for the New York Press Association. And Barbara Lombardo is a journalism professor at the University at Albany and former executive editor of the Saratogian and the Troy Record. You can listen to or podcast The Media Project anytime at WAMC.org or just download the WAMC app for your iPhone or Android at the Play Store today. Thanks for listening. To working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people.
Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press.